0: So ideally all homecomings in the world should be great right you have the people that you love right there with you it's a beautiful environment you feel friendly you feel comfortable you feel at home but seemingly so it's not the case for everyone and this time out well, it, it was, let's say, a less entertaining homecoming than we thought it would be. But nevertheless, Ferrari just got absolutely whacked by Red Bull. A big one, too, with Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. And there's a lot more that we're going to discuss about that particular race weekend on this particular episode of the Inside Line of one podcast and Pitch to Podium. A lot to talk about. How did this Ferrari implosion actually ended up happening? What about Leclerc? Should he have settled for third? Just how good was Max Verstappen? Actually, a few other questions as well. Could Daniel Ricciardo have done differently? Is Russell's experience probably one thing getting him over Hamilton? I know it's a bit of a crazy question, but we shall elaborate. And is 2022 taking the charm away from Hamilton's other titles? All of that and more on this very episode. But folks, my name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. John McConnell the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team. And speaking of the Force India F1 team, you should check out our Force India miniseries that we had on the podcast just a few weeks ago. Some amazing stories there. But... Amazing stories are uh, not what you could say about this whole race Kunal. Just, okay, great stories coming into and getting out of this race, but as a spectacle, I think you can just use the phrase, Emola. Eh, it's, it's just that kind of phrase that makes you go, that makes you sigh at the end. It does, and you know, it was. Uh...
1: Even though it was damp, even though we had the sprint format and, and, you know, two races that would have happened, it wasn't the most exciting of Grand Prix weekends, I would say, especially, Mm. you know, given what Bahrain and Saudi Arabia and the likes gave us. But, yes, lots of history, lots of homecoming, as you said, not the best one for for Ferrari. Uh, You know, the good thing is they have at least one more chance to try and... Uh, have another homecoming and, and, you know, make the Tifosi go as crazy as they can get. But uh, we we have to discuss, you know, maximum points, maximum attack for Max Verstappen-Sommel. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's that stat. Uh, each time Max Verstappen has finished a race this season, he's finished first. So firstly, congratulations on finishing a race. And second, congratulations <laughs> for finishing first. And then again, another stat, you know, he... Had, he scored the maximum of 34 points that any driver could have scored uh, this weekend, you know, by winning the sprint, which gave him eight points, by then winning the Grand Prix on Sunday, which gave him 25, and then the fastest lap point, which was another additional point. So first time it's ever happened in the history that we've had a driver scoring maximum points on a sprint sprint weekend sommelier.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it's not the most points ever scored on a weekend because, of course, Abu Dhabi 2014, Hamilton winning 50 points is that. But yeah, I mean, what, what can you say? He was just super all along. And I suppose that sprint race victory helped out quite a fair bit, Canal, because at the end of the day, that put him on the drier side of the grid, which put him in a dry. Start, I mean, which put him in a better starting slot, which eventually helped him just cement the win eventually, and. Wow. This sprint race as well, I know we can't discuss too much of it right now because there's so many things in the race to discuss. But probably the best sprint race we've had so far, which is, which is of course, not, not a very big pool of consideration, but still entertaining on that front. But about that one too, I think we can firmly say the Red Bull have arrived here, which is the best part of this year. I would say so. You know, they haven't looked as dominant
1: in the in the previous three races that we had in the season it was always that ferrari was quick and max needed to pull things out of the back to make things happen hmm. or the margins were was, was very very small especially the two warmer weekends in bahrain and and saudi right uh, hmm. in australia we saw that ferrari was the quickest car and lewis uh, sorry uh, charles i'm used to saying lewis but yeah, charles uh, w- <laughs> was pretty much unmatched when he was running at the front in free air at Imola. It was Max who was, you know, pretty much unmatched when he was running in, in free air as well. And I think the one big factor that really worked in uh, Red Bull, in, in worked in Max Verstappen's favor this weekend, was the weather, mm-hmm. right? So it was, uh, of course, very warm in in the Middle Eastern countries. Uh, then in Australia was a little bit cooler. But Imola was the coldest weekend that these 2022 cars actually ended up running. And maybe that helped Red Bull unlock a little more performance uh, to sort of pull away from uh, Ferrari this weekend. So, well, that's
0: that's my hypothesis. Mm, Yeah, exactly. And it ended up pretty well for them. It was because it was not just Max, right? was also Sergio Perez. Who made the job very, very hard for Charles Leclerc? Which is, I think, the next thing we can speak about essentially. Because, okay, we, we will get to the start and why things just kind of crumble for Leclerc. But just on the subject of Sergio Perez, the fact that he's been better this year made it a harder task for Leclerc to get past, and and that's been amazing. The way Red Bull has working now as a proper unit, not lopsided anymore, which is one great thing to see with with Perez's podium last time out, with Perez's podium this time out as well. But Leclerc, Canal, at the end of the day. Uh, I want to begin at that last pit stop uh, before the spin, of course, because that that kind of overcut attempt cost him quite a fair bit because that and the 1.4-second slower pit stop essentially cost him second place. And then, of course, he got under pressure and caused all that uh, and that spin right there. But what do you reckon about that call? Because we just eventually saw Sergio Perez drive past the click once his tyres were warmed up. What were Ferrari thinking there? Were they a bit too confident that they'll be able to get past Perez very easily? You know, Let's talk about Ferrari's confidence because that's an interesting
1: point. They were the mm. only team that came this weekend with literally no upgrades on their cars. In fact, not literally, with no upgrades mm. on their cars. With yep. upgrades, yeah. And uh, very bold. Again, home race. They were very confident that they had the baseline package to unlock more performance from. Red Bull, on the other hand, uh, brought some aero bits, uh, like uh, Helmut Marco said, uh, also some weight-saving uh, uh, updates that uh, came across as well. So, you know, at the end of the day, Ferrari turned around and said, you know what, we are just going to be as confident as we can be. And maybe they were just caught out by the lack of uh, dry running that was there on Friday, given the whole, uh, you know, limited practice that happened in, in dry, etc. So it was just this choice of setup could, could be called that. But, uh, you know, che- Checo Perez, him, let's remember, he actually got uh, caught out in qualifying. He wasn't, he was out of place along with Carlos yep. Sainz. And both he and Carlos Sainz did very well to sort of, Gained positions in the sprint, and then of course Carlos Sainz had the sprint, uh, had the spin, uh, and he was beast in the gravel in the Grand Prix. But at least Checo Perez was then able to sort of uh, play the rear gunman, wingman, whatever you want to call him, uh, to to Max Verstappen. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw him do this to Lewis Hamilton last year. He's now doing it to Charles Leclerc this year. And uh, you asked a question, and you know something Charles alluded to as well. He said maybe I should have just settled for third place and taken the points, right? And then Mattia Binotto, of course, turned around and said, we don't blame our drivers for trying to push. And then if sometimes you push, they make mistakes. So, uh, you know, it's like this, Mm. that the position he was in, he could see second place. He could see that there is a chance to get ahead of Checo Perez. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sort of made the move. So when he was driving, he, of course, wanted to go on the attack. And he was on the attack it was only after he lost it he is like in hindsight ah i should have just taken third place and taken the points that you know sort of go ahead uh, that come with it and and you know limit uh, points loss on a weekend when you don't have the fastest car as you know we've normally seen in formula 1 so all in all uh, you know not the best mm. of homecoming for ferrari implosion in the the pit stop uh, uh, even the driver the question needs to be asked you know uh, if the car is ready Uh, Will Charles be ready when the title battle actually comes up? Because let's not forget, Mm -hmm. it is if this ends up being a title-challenging season for Charles, it will be the first time in Formula 1 that he will actually have uh, a car that will allow him to fight for all the races of the season. And of course, I know he's had a very successful junior career and he's extremely talented. But, uh, you know, Max has, of course, uh, been... Uh, he's, he's he's strengthened a lot with his fight from, say, Lewis Hamilton last season. And he's just continuing in that same uh, lion form that, you know, he, he's always been.
0: Yeah, but we have to remember that I think Max also got it down in his very first title fight, so uh, I just think it's this whole generation I think they're right ready over there but before before moving on to anything else Kunal, I just want to touch upon one thing you said right there about let's say maximizing points on a weekend where your car isn't the fastest was Ferrari actually not the fastest because in the sprint race they seemed so evenly matched just What do you reckon? Do you think it was just conditions that went wrong for them in the race or was there a deeper problem? I think it was just the cooler conditions. You know, Aston Martin turned around and said,
1: the cooler conditions are a lot to play in our double points finish. My guess is that it was the conditions that sort of helped Red Bull a little more and Ferrari was just ending up graining. Uh, You know, they suffered from a bit of graining with their tyres as well. And, you know, that's why Charles probably thought he Mm -hmm. needed to push uh, a little too hard to try and make up some positions, right? And as they say, it's a 23-race calendar. The title battle is going to last for as long as they can. And maybe Charles will now look at it saying, you know, on weekends, when I really don't have the car to push for things, I should just stick as many points as I can get. Uh, But, you know, that's where it is. But we should talk about, you know, Carlos Sainz as well. He drove a fantastic race in the sprint, just as Hmm. the Carlos as we remember him to be. And then he, of course, had that Issue with Daniel Ricardo, which was fairly uncharacteristic of Ricardo as well. You know, he just went over a bump, which I presume was a bit damped. He got kicked and then he understeered into Carlos Sainz. So, again, uh, not the kind of weekend that Ricardo would have wanted either, uh, you know, despite being so closely matched in performance to Lando Norris.
0: Yeah, because McLaren ended up getting their second, wait, first podium of the year, isn't it? They didn't get a podium in Melbourne, but my goodness has the fortunes turned around for them. But I think it's better to talk about McLaren as a part of the midfield bunch because there's a lot of similarities to discuss with all the other teams. But uh, I just want to talk about, uh, let's just say the team we thought that would be the leading midfield team, Mercedes. But clearly, Kunal, that's only true with one car and not the other one. What's just going on there? I know uh, there's been memes and rumours flying around everywhere that this probably must be the most coverage any broadcaster has ever given to any 14th place finisher. Case in point, I mean, of course, the driver over there is Lewis Hamilton. But it's it's interesting that Total Wolf has just come out and apologized to Lewis Hamilton, saying that, oh, we're not giving him a car that matches his talents. Again, very similar to what Aston Martin has done for Sebastian Vettel. But except here, their teammate is doing far better. I mean, large tour is not not going anywhere or at least so it seems and George Russell ended up finishing this weekend, what, was it 4th or 5th? Yeah, I think 4th or 5th somewhere. He he, he was 4th and and, you know, he's, uh,
1: in fact, George Russell has been the only driver to have had top 5 finishes in all the 4 races of the season and, you know, Let's do. Let's let's be fair. You know, we need to speak about Russell before we speak about Hamilton. I think again, he was exemplary this mm-hmm. weekend. You know, uh, it's 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 uh, it's so heartening to see. You know, here's a driver saying, "I have got a chance to race for the constructors' champion." Okay, the reigning constructors' champion. I'm going to do what it takes mm-hmm. to get a great result, and it sort of reminds me of uh, you know Leclerc versus Fettel. At, uh, at Ferrari at the at the first uh, season they sort of uh, partnered, you know, where Leclerc yeah. was just, want, just so excited he was driving for Ferrari. He said, I'm going to give my best come what may. And Vettel, on the other hand, was, yeah, I've been racing for Ferrari for a while. I just need to make sure I work with the team so that we are able to <laughs> become a championship winning unit again rather than focused on race to race. So it's probably those two, You know, difference in approaches, right? Uh, But yeah, uh, you know, no excuses Mm -hmm. for Hamilton not being able to get what, uh, you know, Russell's uh, been getting to do with the car. It could very well be, before all the anti-Hamilton or before all Team LH fans jump on me, it could be that Lewis is... uh, Trying different things and experimenting different setups, which, you know, are not being made public, uh, or being made as public. And that's probably what's causing him to not be at the same level as George Russell. And maybe that's why, you know, Toto Wolff's apology came. And, you know, I'll... I'll, of course, remember one question that I read on Twitter saying, mm. when was the last time Toto Wolf apologized for Valtteri Bottas for, you know, giving him a bad car when he finished 13th as oh. well. So uh, all in all, you know, Russell's performance shows that uh, Mercedes do have the third fastest car. And uh, if uh, Russell's able to do it, the question should be asked why uh, Hamilton's not able to to do it. But Samuel, you had an interesting view on Russell's experience versus Hamilton's experience uh, given Mercedes' situation uh,
0: right now. Yeah, this is going to be a bit of a spicy take in my opinion. But if you think of every single year of Lewis Hamilton's career, you, have kind, of, you, you kind of realize that he's won every time he's had his consistent record of winning in every single season he's competed in, which seems likely that will be broken this year. Again, a sad thing if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan. But that's the point. He's won in every single Formula One season. He's never, ever properly had a bad car, a car that's constantly fighting in the midfield. You could say 2013, but the team got better later on. You could say 2009, but again, the team got better later on. So in a way, Russell's kind of more experienced at least in the more recent term, of kind of dragging a bad car to a good result, which is what we're going to get into see right now with Mercedes. It's a bad car that has to be dragged to good results. And Hamilton, uh, now, it's, again, a bold claim. You have to look into the specifics of it that, oh, it's the understeer that's not impacting him, or it's the bouncing, or it's the X, or it's the Y. But in general, if you just take a wider view of it, it seems like the experience of not having to drag a bad car up is... Is kind of something that's holding Lewis back at this stage, and again, it's a good problem to have in a way. I mean, if you if you kind of look it out overall, I, I wouldn't <laughs> mind having a career like that. But just that whole thing seems to be like Russell has an edge over there, and clearly it's it's making a difference. Even though he's having back pains and chest pains, Russell is still out driving that car at this stage, which we thought could happen. It, it's a lot like 2007 with Alonso and Hamilton, except here Russell is outclassing Lewis. But why all of that is happening again still seems to be a bit of a mystery. But I've I've kind of got this question from all the WhatsApp groups, Kunal, where everyone is just relishing the downfall of Lewis Hamilton, which I don't get. But again, that's one thing. Is this kind of taking the charm away from all of his previous championships and, and kind of proving that it was the car after all? Well, that's always been the case in Formula One most of the times, right? It's
1: always been the car first mm-hmm. and then the driver in the car because… That's just, you know, very seldom have you seen, uh, you know, uh, a car that's not the quickest not win a world championship or a car that's the quickest, uh, uh, you know, a car that's not the quickest win a world championship, you know, just turn the statement around there. But, uh, you know, this is Hamilton's longest uh, podium-less streak since 2013. Oh, it's been three races, since he got himself on the podium. And, you know, uh, this stat is, of course, from our dear F1 stats guru Sundaram. You're going to see a lot more stats come up on his Twitter handle as well uh, and Instagram page. But yeah, another, another stat that we're working on was when was the last time Lewis Hamilton was actually out finished? By a teammate, three consecutive races in a row. That's also something we're going to be digging into uh, to, to see, you know, just how good or or uh, how bad Lewis was. But th- there's another stat which is, you know, very interesting uh, for me. Samuel uh, right. Charles Leclerc got the Grand Slam in Australia. Uh, Max Verstappen got the Grand Slam at Imola. 1979 mm. was the last time when two drivers. Scored a Grand Slam at a Grand uh, through through the whole season, and unfortunately, neither of the two drivers actually went on to win the World Championship that season. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if Leclerc and Verstappen succumb to that stat, right? If that stat comes to for 2022, I think we're in for a cracker of a season. I'd love to see. I don't care who wins the title, right? But but I'd love to see who the the third driver could be. In case that stat comes true. And at the moment, uh wouldn't be surprised if it's George Russell, given you know what he's able to to do in a Mercedes that's clearly not uh, quick enough, Samuel.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh but I don't know, it just seems like Mercedes will take longer, but no guesses to see as to who got that startup. F1 stats guru, he's the master of all of that. Check him out on all the social media handles. And it's just been that kind of weekend where you can pick up so many interesting stats and so many interesting stories. But there's this one question that's bobbling around in my mind, canal about the midfield. Uh, do you reckon that this whole musical chairs is a bit too wild in a way? And it, does it seem to you that Haas and Alfa Romeo are actually the biggest underperformers? Because at least in my point of view, that's what it seems like. Now, you might be saying, well, what are you talking about? Both Haas finished fifth. Haas seemed to have a good weekend. But they consistently seem like they have the pace for the top ten but they are just not able to get there all the time, or at least they're able to do so only with one car. In this case, it is Valtteri Bottas and Kevin Magnussen when he can fight. So ideally, these are cars that should be having all all four of their cars in the top 10, but there's only one or two of them at a time. So what what do you reckon, Kunal? They they should ideally be fighting with the McLarens, but here they are. What's your take on this lopsidedness? Do you think they're underperforming or are they actually overdoing? Or or is our vision practically skewed? by their performances last year. I mean, by, by that standard, they're over-delivering, aren't they?
1: Oh, well, frankly, that's a very interesting question. Are Haas and Alfa Romeo underperforming, given that just one driver is doing a bulk of the scoring? And the truth is, yes, that very well could be uh, you know, an assessment that uh, you've actually put spot on because Mick Schumacher Clearly hasn't scored a point yet. Yu Zhou scored a point on his debut race in Australia, but not uh, had anything. Had not had much luck to score points after that, right? And uh, I, I I think they are definitely underperforming. Mix. Uh, needs needs a change of form or maybe a little bit change of luck as well because he's been last couple of races you know after the crash in saudi arabia he's been there or thereabouts with kevin magnussen just i think my my understanding here is that McNusen and Botas, their experience of having driven so many races yeah. in formula 1 just sort of helps them have the edge uh when it comes to pulling out these performances uh, and and scoring points because you know, uh, Botas, let's remember, he, he scored, uh, fifth place, which is his best, uh, finish of, uh, the season, and that helped Alfa Romeo jump Alpine uh, in the Constructors' uh, Championship, right? And Kevin Magnussen, you know, I, it's it's such a delight to hear him speak after every session. He's just like, oh, my God, the dream is still <laughs> continuing. Oh, my God, I'm back to Formula One. I never thought that would happen. Oh, my God, the Haas is actually a lovely car. So it's, it's, uh, it's a delight. And, you know, uh, Mick Schumacher and Nicolas Latifi are the only two drivers to have not scored a point this yep. season yet. And uh, I'm not sure Mick would like to be on
0: that list if Nicolas Latifi is there. (laughs) Which actually reminds me of one thing. Uh, I think Latifi has never crashed in a race or caused a safety car as such where Verstappen has been leading. So make make of that what you will. But yeah, it's, it's surprising what's going on in the midfield. It's such a lovely car, the Haas, that they're currently eighth in the standings, which, again, if it's such a lovely car, they shouldn't quite be there. Uh, That's the surprising part for me. But what's actually very, very interesting, Kunal, is that uh, Aston Martin are climbing up. Now, again, they've had a bit of an interesting weekend where both the drivers were consistently having great pace. I just wonder, what's this, again, what's this musical chairs all about? Every team is consistently facing such a big change. And that also leads us on to McLaren. In Bahrain, they were absolutely no. It's kind of similar in Saudi Arabia. Suddenly, they've got a podium under their belt. For all we you, could they be last last year? Is this one kind of season where we have only one backmarker, which kind of seems too exciting, doesn't it? It seems absolutely exciting. You know,
1: Aston Martin, they were very bold. They said it was the cold temperatures that helped us. When it comes to McLaren, they believe they made steps with their smaller upgrades that they've sort of brought... uh, to their car since Australia and it's heartening to see them in the fight as well. It's so lovely to see Lando Norris, uh, who by the way was forced to drink champagne on the podium by Max Verstappen. So I'm not sure that's a good uh, example uh, uh, that Max is setting there, you know, given Lando's love for for milk mm. and, uh, and and so <laughs> on, right? Uh, so it's it's uh, it's interesting to see how uh, you know and how McLaren have bounced back, and if Aston Martin are going to continue on this trajectory as well, because I think along with uh, Red Bull, Aston Martin was the only other team to
0: have both cars finish in the points, it. Yeah, which is just tremendous considering where their weekend was early on. And when you hear the rumors that they might be building a new car, there's there's still a little bit more life left in it. But track-specific conditions, would you reckon, Gunal? Is that the reason why we're seeing this melee happen all the time? Could very well be. Two cooler weekends than the ones
1: that we had in the Middle Eastern races. So it could be that. It could be a function that uh you know they've they've just hit some uh, sweet spot in their in their setup, which is helping them because mm. purposing has continued to be a problem. For some of the Mercedes uh, customer teams as well as for Mercedes, and you know, rumors have it that the placement of the Mercedes power unit and the gearbox, which is what Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Williams have uh, similarly, could uh, be where one of the you know one of the problems lie. And this is why McLaren, who of course have their own gearbox and hence their own placement, uh, are not struggling as much as the other Mercedes uh, teams, including
0: the works team out there. So. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, I have to say not struggling yet because the way the season is going, you really have no idea about what the pecking order is going to be at the end or how things are going to play about. But good to see McLaren get that podium courtesy of Lando Norris. And good to see that Daniel Ricciardo also had the pace. Had it not been for that incident, who knows how this weekend would have gone. But that's amazing to see that the fan favourites are kind of getting back in there. But Kunal, I would just want to talk about the DRS, about the whole overtaking kerfuffle I was just watching this race with with one of my cousins who was just watching his first Formula One race. And all the time, he was just surprised at me, shouting, saying, why are you not opening the DRS? What's happening? And uh, I'd given him a bit of a lowdown that F1 has spent multi-million dollars on developing a new car that's going to allow drivers to overtake better. But what was it? There was barely any battling as such. Because, of course, we saw the difference. The cars could follow. But passing was clearly a major issue. I... I mean, after having read all the reports, you can kind of account it a little bit to firstly, A, the DRS not being opened early enough. And secondly, B, maybe not having a dry enough line because there's only one dry line and drivers wouldn't want to overtake on the wetter part of the circuit. But about the DRS canal, did, did you think F1 and, and the race officials left it a bit too late? Or secondly, do you think Formula One has a serious problem with the cars and even DRS can't conjure it with the overtaking? Because at least at the end of the race, that's what seemed like it. You know, the strange thing, Samuel, oh. is
1: during the sprint, fans were complaining of the DRS, that, oh, my God, the DRS is so <laughs> powerful too. that uh, the overtake was happening like 200, 300 meters before even entering the breaking point. So literally in the middle of the straight, the drivers were able to drive past, especially the Red Bull drivers. They have a mighty powerful DRS, Samuel, hmm. right? On Sunday, it was the reverse. Drivers were, uh, Fans were complaining, hey, oh, my God, we don't have a DRS that's there you know so it's it's just uh, depends who you ask it's especially like i mean i was again you know like you guys know i i'm pretty much always on the radio channels of all the drivers right hmm. and daniel ricardo was asking for drs to be opened several uh, tens of laps before it actually opened and clearly he was you know Last after his opening lap incident, whereas Sebastian Vettel thought that maybe the first, uh, you know, the first, uh, the entry to the first corner was still a little too damp, and hence race control couldn't really make a judgment to open the DRS before. So I think you know Formula One would have secretly been happy to To see how it would be, should they actually not use the DRS uh, wings on on these twenty twenty two cars? Because, like you rightfully pointed out, you know, uh, following was actually easy, but overtaking was probably not, and maybe that's that's where they need to try and work on not the overtaking part, but can the car that's following uh, get even half a chance more to be in the fight? Uh, because we saw, you know, Lewis Hamilton was stuck behind Pierre Gasly for like the longest hmm. time ever, and uh, but that's of course not just the the fact that uh, you know DRS wasn't on, but M- Mercedes cars, Mercedes drivers were actually uh, you know needing to lift on the straight because of extreme porpoising, hmm. and that's why they could be close enough on the straights but not have the straight line speed advantage to sort of make uh, make an overtake uh, happen and. Still sticking to Mercedes, I, I know we spoke about George Russell earlier, but one other thing which really stood out was Mercedes's pit adjuster did not work for George Russell when he made the pit stop. So he actually drove a dry race on a wet setup and uh, or a wet balance, as they would call it, right? And he still managed to keep Valtteri Bottas behind him throughout the race sample. Yeah, you know, Truth truth uh truth be told, Samuel, I've realized that every time we give a rating, every time somebody gives a rating, there are lots of biases that sort of creep in time and time again. But I, I, I would say the sprint was definitely more fun. Lots of aggression, lots of overtaking that happened. The race was entertaining as long as you didn't look at Max Verstappen and the cushion he had at the front, you know. Carlos, uh, sorry, uh, Charles Leclerc versus Perez was good. The midfield battle was good. Would the Mercedes cars actually get overtaken or would they overtake? That was always a question as well. So I I would say, yes, the Grand Prix was not as exciting. But, you know, like Australia, this is just as exciting a boring race could probably get somewhere. But, you know, Lando Norris on the podium always makes for a cheerful race, at least. Bye-bye.